Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. What would you do if you were called to be an international missionary? Who would you talk to? Whose advice would you take? What if someone comes to you in your church and says, God's called me to missions? Would you know what to tell them? Today on The Scent Life, we have a friend of ours who has written just the book that you need in order to be able to answer these questions. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back into the Set Life Studio, Dr. Anna Dobb. Anna uh, comes in each week, and uh, we talk about just stories of people who are pursuing God's mission. Sometimes they're uh, figures from history, and sometimes they are contemporary uh, individuals or contemporary movements. And so, Anna, welcome. Uh, tell us a great story today. What we got going on? Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, today, I want to tell a story that I think most people don't know. Okay. Um, and a story that... It, while it's a great story and, and I'm, I'm glad for her legacy, it's also kind of a sad story. Okay. So I'm going to just prepare your hearts there. Sure. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about Harriet Baker. Yeah. Have you heard about Harriet, ba- Harriet Baker? So most people, when we think about single missionaries sent out by the Foreign Mission Board at the time, uh, we think about Lottie Moon. Mm-hmm. And most people, I think, assume that she was probably the first s- yep. single missionary, but that's not actually true. Okay. Um, so Harriet Baker was is most likely the first um, single female missionary sent out by the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay. Uh, She was sent out in 1849, uh, which compared to Lottie Moon, just so you know, Lottie was sent out in 1873. So you're looking at quite a a bit before um, Lottie Moon's time. She returns home in 1853. Uh, She had a really hard term. Okay. um, Really unfortunately hard term. Okay. uh, That was actually made much harder than it probably should have been by a bad teammate. Um, And so she returns home in the 50s, uh, and then this actually, the FB, the the Foreign Mission Board, views this as a failure. Um, And and the reason they view this as a failure is that she was kind of the test case of can we we send single missionaries, single female missionaries specifically. And when she comes back kind of after this really unfortunate term, they actually say, no, we can't. can't ever do it. Yep. And so it actually is ni- or 1872 before the SBC approves to sing, send female missionaries again. Wow. Um, her term is hard, her, and her, her story is complicated. Okay. Um, she goes and serves faithfully uh, in, uh, in China, and when she, but, but because of some issues with this teammate that were um, – probably had some personal things as mm-hmm. re- and, and relational issues. They weren't necessarily like ministry problems. Okay. They were they were personality and, and personal. Just personality conflicts. Personality conflicts and then relational conflict. Okay. Um, I really do think was, was present there. And so she comes back um, after being in the, on this team. And, and the unfortunate piece is that he's actually re- released from the board, the, the teammate. Oh. And so I think there's kind of a knowledge that he, there were some issues there. Okay. But it's still they still view her time as a as almost a failure, right? Um, and and so you know I, you hate to tell these like sad stories sure. on a podcast like this, 
But I think it's really important that we we recognize and we know that mm-hmm. we, we know her name. Harriet mm-hmm. Baker actually did something uh, that was really important. Right. She laid the groundwork, as complicated as it was, for the Lottie Moon mm-hmm. to be able to come. Right. Um, if, if Harriet Baker had not answered the call uh, to to try to go and be appointed as a, as a Southern Baptist mm-hmm. missionary, uh we don't know what would have happened. That's a great and point. so she, uh, she's a woman who I think needs to be known, and we need to know her story. Uh, we need to recognize it's complicated, and we need to praise God that he, even, even as early as the, as the 1840s, was sending women um, from the SBC Convention. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is that today, uh, significantly more single women than single men serve with our International Mission Board. Absolutely. And so uh, women like uh, her pave the way, and I'm glad that we've learned through the years how to do a better job of it. So uh, anyway, thanks for telling the story. It's, again, it's not the not the most exciting story uh, as far as the joy of the way things end, but it's a, it's a learning story, and we praise God for the courage of people who've gone before us. Amen. Thanks a ton. What a great story. Thank you. Hey, welcome to The Scent Life. Keelan, today we have Probably who would be one of our most regular guests. Carol Goddess is with us today. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So I wasn't here for the first one, so I'm glad that I get to catch up with Carol today. Yeah, Carol's here. She's zooming in. She's actually not in the in the studio with us. But Carol, uh, appreciate you joining us today on The Scent Life. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So you were here with us about a year or so ago. You wrote a book that really was discussing... Uh, how to deal with disappointment when God calls you to missions, your book, When Doors Close. Um, this book is a little bit different today. This book is really focused on uh, what it's like to be a missionary. The title of your new book is Not in Kansas Anymore. Yeah, so I am real interested to hear about the story behind this book, Carol. Uh, I think the idea for it is fantastic. If you wouldn't mind giving our our audience just kind of an elevator spill about what it is the book does, what you're talking about, and uh, what your hopes are for it. So thank you for that opportunity. And yes, this book is about home. And when we go to serve overseas, when we answer the call, you think it's going to be an automatic feel that you're going to be home at home in your new place. But what happens when you get on the field and all you're thinking about is sonic tater tots or your (laughs) church's praise band and you just cannot find your place in this new place of service. Yeah, so Carol, for our our listeners who weren't around for the first run, tell us a little bit about yourself, your story. Um, This Again, this is not just the second book you've written. You've written a bunch of books, a bunch of resources you've contributed. So can you give us a little bit of, of, of insight into yourself, a little bit about your life, God's call on your life, Uh, And then we'll talk a lot about this book, uh, Not in Kansas Anymore. Okay. Uh, So I'm from Tennessee originally, and that's where I live now as well. And when I was a young girl, I felt the call to missions uh, and moved toward that goal over the years and served in my local church, uh, worked with Laotians while I was in high school and college, And then after college, I served for two years in West Africa, came back, went to seminary in Texas, and then um, married a very handsome and very smart (laughs) Egyptian-American man named Dr. Rauf Gaddis. 
And for the next 20 years, we served in the Middle East and North Africa mm. uh, with the International Mission Board. Uh, we returned in 2009 and retired in 2011. But while we were back the first year or so, we began seeing the need for an Arabic-speaking church in my hometown in that area. And we began a church, an Arabic Baptist church in Murfreesboro. So my husband passed away in uh, 2015, and I continued to serve in the church, in the Arabic Baptist Church at that time. But I also work full-time as a librarian. I do speaking on Islam, on missions, on grief, uh, other issues for women. And I have two grown sons and two beautiful daughters-in-law and a granddaughter. So I have written several books, yes. It started with a book that Raouf and I wrote together on the Christian Guide to the Quran, Building Bridges in uh, Muslim Evangelism. But I've also written uh, three novels as um, about how Muslims come to faith and stay within their culture as believers. And that is under the pen name of Om Daoud. Uh, I've written a book about my husband's life, about just the call to service called A Life Surrendered. And then, of course, my latest book, When Doors Close, and then also this new one as well. Plus, I'm a contributing uh, author or writer for Mission Mosaic and have contributed to several other works as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, which is why we love to have you on, right? You've got a wealth of experience, wealth of talent, uh, really uh, using the, the opportunity uh, and the circumstances that God has given to you to really help others and Man, this is what I like so much about uh, about this current book. In fact, when I you asked me to, to to write a recommendation for the book, and so I'm just going to read my recommendation. It says this: Do you sense God's call to the mission field? Is a family or church member serving away from home? Do you want to know how to equip missionaries for successful overseas service? If the answer to any of these questions in, is yes, then not in Kansas anymore should be on your reading list. This is a practical guide in preparation and long-term missionary service. Kara Goddess writes from the wisdom of a seasoned missionary, but she also does so with the heart of a caring counselor. Reading this book is like sitting over coffee with a missionary as she dispenses practical wisdom gained through years of service. Read this book before you go overseas, but take it with you because you'll want to look back and read it many times over the years. And I really believe that. I mean, when I read the book, I was so excited. Kara, what, what motivated you to write this book about uh, about missions and two missionaries in particular? Well, over the last several years in my writing uh, life, I, I really wanted to know from the Lord what he, what he would have for me to do in this next season of writing. And I felt that I had, as a person, a very unique uh, vantage point into missions with my years as a single but also married person uh, looking at missions overseas and just what that meant and I felt like it was time to pour into the new generation of missionaries or cross-cultural workers. I wrote the book about closed doors but I also felt like it was important to understand what home looks like on the mission field because that is such a struggle for so many people and trying to encourage them to be able to stay longer on the field. I felt this was a critical piece of the of a mission puzzle that needed to be talked about. 
So, Carol, I absolutely love the metaphor you're using there, analogy. I'm not quite sure what to call it in the way that you're using it here, but uh, this idea of finding home for the missionary. So I I served overseas as well. I was in West Africa, in fact, serving as a missionary. And a big piece of what I do here at the seminary now is mobilization. I sit down with students all of the time, and they ask me, one of the questions they ask me the most probably is, what's it like to be a missionary? And answering that question, is it's thick. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of things to try to unpack. But this idea of finding home, I think, is a really important one. Uh, would you p- unpack that a bit more and what you're trying to get at with that? So I think for many people, and I know especially for me as a woman, my natural tendency in life in general is to nest. You want to, you know, you move into an apartment, you move into a home, and you want to make it your own. It it needs to feel good to you, needs to be the place where you find rest when you come back in from outside. And the same thing goes for overseas. Wherever you go to serve, you want that to be your home. You want to feel good about coming back and, and resting in your apartment or your or your house, wherever you live. But it's not as easy as many people think because you're not just learning to make a home in a culture that you understand and that a culture that you speak the same language. But all of a sudden, you realize in this new country that there may be a new language or different cultures. People have a whole different view of what home looks like even in that culture. And so that kind of throws you off kilter about how you can feel settled and and feel like okay this is where i am to be you know for a long term and that's hard and so there's some expectations that kind of hinder us and also relationships that can hinder us in making um this place where you feel like yes this is home and not always referring to your home country your native country your town as home instead this becomes your home Yeah, that's one of the things that I really like about the way you have framed this. Uh, One of the things we talk about here around the seminary a lot is uh, the stickiness of a missionary, so to speak, their ability to land in context and be able to hack it out for the long haul in a place. And what you're talking about here I think is a really key component to a missionary being able to have a healthy understanding of where they are and their field of service and and being able to persevere in what is a very different place than where they're used to. Yeah, and I think that whole thing of you just don't have any clue of what that's going to look like in another place until you're there. And so it's hard to instill that in a person that's just beginning the process other than saying, you know what, it's going to look different. That's all I can tell you. And and even starting with that as a foundation of saying, okay, it's not going to look like what I have here. How am I going to handle that? How am I going to, you know, go through that little minefield of cultural issues that pop up uh, that might make me feel uncomfortable? Because that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be comfortable from the get-go. Right, yeah. Carol, your opening section of the book, you really hone in and really emphasize that the missionary needs to know themselves and they need to know others. I really like Mm. the way that you address this concept of expectations. I remember when my wife and I were uh, going through premarital counseling, one of the real things that uh, our pastor really doubled down on was, now make sure that you know your expectations, otherwise you're going to be disappointed 
and uh, and and be angry with each other for kind of un, unspoken, unmet expectations. So I like that concept. But when you when you were writing about knowing yourself, knowing others, and this idea of expectations in the book, how does that relate to finding and 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 feeling at home uh, where you're serving as a missionary? Well, I think if if you have an expectation that everyone is going to relate to you in a way that you currently understand or currently deal with people, that's going to throw you off. Mm. And it can make you um, bitter sometimes toward other people. It can make you angry that people are not responding to maybe your words or your efforts, um, the way you treat them in the right in the right way in your mind. And that can mess you up. And also just your expectation of yourself. Um, it's always good if you can think about what stresses you out on mm. this side of the ocean or on this side of ministry. Just think about that multiplying about a hundred times when you move into a, a new environment, because that's going to really throw you off. And so you need to be thinking about what are stressors that upset me now? You know, what does the Lord want to tell me about those stressors? You know, I make those stressors, not other people sometimes. So there's some expectations that have to be, um, you know, brought into check with the Lord first before you begin in ministry. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I really really think that's exactly right. Now, you also, um, you write about setting boundaries in ministry. And that's, I think, this is probably one of the hardest things for those of us who are in ministry. No doubt. Of any category, whether it's domestic ministry or international ministry, is setting boundaries. So can you talk a little bit about what you had in mind uh, when you when you were writing about boundaries? Why do you think it's so difficult, and how do we go about maintaining or keeping uh, boundaries so that we can stay home and stay on the field? I think because missionaries and general Christians overall but many of us, even me as a librarian, we love to help people. We are there to serve. You are there to share the Lord with them. Um, so you are working out of this desire to, to build people up, to, to serve them, to do everything you can to reach them for the gospel. The problem is what they might do in response to that looks different from what may be in your mind. And sometimes we overdo and we continue to serve to a point where we don't take breaks Mm -hmm. to a point where maybe people are taking advantage of us uh, to a point where we just burn out. And when that happens, uh, people go home. Mm -hmm. People have bitterness and anger toward the country or the society that they're now living in. And it really does cut short that longevity ability in service because you have just worked yourself and you're not seeing maybe even appreciation because in many cultures, the idea of saying thank you when you're given something is just not there. And so what does that look like? If no one appreciates me, all this effort I'm doing, why am I doing it? And that's a struggle. Yeah, so boundaries are crucial 
to ministry, and that's one that, man, and you're right, Scott. So regardless of what pathway you're taking to fulfill Great Commission ministry, I mean, if it's international missions, as Carol's talking about in this book, or it's general pastoral ministry, uh, or anything in between, right, you've, you've got to think through that well. And I appreciate the warning that you provide in this book concerning that issue and expectations. I think those are really key components of the work here. Uh, one other thing that I think would be helpful to think through, uh, perhaps, so we talk about finding home on the field. Missionaries often or also will eventually return back to the States and thinking about what was home in the States and returning to what was home and the expectations that might surround that and some of the false hopes for returning to what you knew, but maybe that's not there anymore, right? Carol, do you want to talk to us a bit about how that dynamic plays out? I do, because it's really interesting. I received a text today from someone who had been reading about this book and she was like, I'm coming back to the States after many years of service and I want to know how to get through this. The best thing you can do sometimes is just be aware that things are going to be different. Home is not what you know is home. It's not going to be the same when you come back from years on the field or even sometimes months on the field because you've changed Mm. and people have changed, but also Um, things have happened that you were not part of while you were overseas or in service. So there is a natural grief process in returning home, and you need to work that out and give yourself grace to recognize you're going to be grieving. You're going to grieve what you left, Mm. but you're also going to grieve what you maybe have missed here and the fact that people maybe are not as interested in what you've been doing for the past 20 years well or five years uh, than you think that they are. And that's a struggle when you come back because home does not feel the same. Yeah, that's for sure. Carol, did you write this book um, only for people who are serving or about to serve on the mission field? Um, you know, who, who, who else might be an audience for the book? Who, else, who other might benefit from reading this book? Well, I think, yes, the primary audience is people are people that are going out uh, to the field to be prepared. Those on the field maybe working through some issues about homesickness or being feeling home. But also, I believe it's really helpful for churches, uh, pastors, uh, mission organizations, families even to help you understand, you know, what mission workers are going to face and how we can help as support teams, um, prayer warriors, what can we do to help them stay longer and feel more at home where they are? And some of that is just being aware that these are gonna be some challenges that they're gonna be facing and to walk with them through that. Carol, I absolutely love that you're taking this in that direction, in fact. So when you sit back and think about the fact that we've got these people going out, and I think a lot of listeners perhaps might see the book as being geared toward just that person. But the reality is sending missionaries is a thing that we as a whole church do, right? And we all have a responsibility to care for those that we have sent. And us being able to understand that dynamic as well provides for us an 
extra opportunity, uh, a better way for us to come alongside and support those that we have sent. So I think it's kind of an everybody book in that sense. If we're any in any way involved in sending some, then we should know how this dynamic works for others. And if I'm a pastor of a church and I need resources for those that I'm sending, I think this is one that I'm going to want to turn to in that way. I've got one more question that I really want to throw at you, though, as we're doing this. What what do you hope readers will actually gain from the book? I think that would be a good place for us to, to, to start to think about winding down the conversation here. Uh, sure. I think for me primarily it's to realize, one, that you're not alone in these feelings. You know, if you're feeling homesick right now on the field, it's every, uh, many people have been through the same thing. I've been through the same thing. It's a struggle. But there are answers one, there's answers in the Lord and in scripture. There's so much that I try to encourage through the book to look at scriptures that, you know, reminds you that you have a home in Christ primarily. So wherever we live, uh, we can serve with confidence knowing that our home is there with Christ. And so that to me is the primary thing is to remind them that they are not alone. God sees you and people understand. So reach out and find encouragement in others to find home where you serve. That's fantastic. Uh, Carol, thank you so much for that. So Not in Kansas Anymore is the name of the book. I'm going to encourage those of you listening to to give this one a read, pick it up. If you're a pastor, if you're involved in preparing and equipping missionaries, this should probably be a book that you may have a stack of on your shelf somewhere as you're doing that kind of work. Carol, can you tell us where our audience might be able to get a copy of the book? I sure can. On any uh, online book distributor, it's available. Uh, Amazon has it. Other online distributors also carry it, or you can go to my website, lifeinexile.net, and click on my books tab, and you can see links there as well. Excellent. Thank you so much, Carol. And I will go ahead and say this to all of you who are listening. If you're interested in this book, for the first five of you that reach out to us either on social media or shoot us an email, uh, we have a copy of this book that we would be happy to give to you. So for the first five of you that do that, we're going we're gonna to send out some copies of Carol's book. Uh, we, we value this resource, and I'd love to get it into the hands of some people. In addition to that, I want to say to all of our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us. We are always happy to have you with us for this. Uh, we'd love it if you would uh, subscribe to the podcast, if you would share the podcast, if you would let others know about what we're doing here. Of course, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, we're also on all the regular social media channels. So find us on Twitter or Facebook or all of those places as well. Thank you all so much for joining us today. And until next time. Hey, welcome back. This is for our segment out of the tower. Welcome Dr. George Robinson into our Scent Life studios. Uh, George, what you got today as we move back into the streets? Yeah, so last time I mentioned uh, the International Mission Board describes the core missionary task as entry, evangelism, disciple-making, gathering those believers together, leadership development, partnership, and exit. And so the last time we were together, I talked about an entry strategy. I I said there are only two kinds of people uh, in the world. There are people you know and people you don't. Uh, You look for a circle of influence, 
or you're looking for a person of peace. This time I want to talk to you about community exegesis as an entry strategy. That's a big word. Yeah, so (laughs) exegesis in seminary setting, we tend to think about exegeting the text of Scripture, but it's really important for us, if we're going to live like missionaries, that we learn how to exegete the culture or the community around us. Okay, what what do you have in mind by there? We kind of read the street signs and interpret what they mean. How do we exegete a community? It's funny that you say that because actually I have an exercise that I send my students out to do every semester in evangelism. They don't think about doing this, but I'm like, you know, you perhaps go to school in this community, but there are things that you've never seen. And I give them some tools uh, and, and some categories of things to look for. Uh, with regards to mapping out the area, and I send each one of them to different districts around the town of Wake Forest, and they map those things out, and then they come back, and the key question is, if you were going to plant a church from zero to one, if you were going to go from no believers to one believer, from no churches to one church in that area, where would you begin, and why, and how would you Uh, leverage those relationships, and they use this concept of community exegesis in order to do that. Sure. So when I first moved to South Asia years ago, we were uh, living in a Muslim community in a village in a very remote place, and it was only electricity a couple of hours a day, but when they turned the electricity on, they also cranked up the uh, speakers for the mosque Ah. to do the call to prayer. And I tell students, you know, every single morning I was awakened with a call to prayer. I never forgot that I was on the mission field. Mm -hmm. I never forgot why I was there because, quite frankly, life was hard. Um, Different language, different smells, different uh, types of relational values, all of those things. So I never forgot that I was supposed to live like a missionary, that it was missions that Mm -hmm. took me there. But the danger is, is that I can wake up every morning on Main Street Mm -hmm. And I can forget that my identity is that of a missionary. All that's changed is my geography. Mm-hmm. So community exegesis, um, some tools that I use with that are like uh, community social media pages, right. those types of things, uh, getting on the uh, events calendar for your town where you begin to uh, learn the rhythms that exist within the community, okay. you begin to learn the key influencers, and then you begin to leverage and forge relationships in order to live like a missionary where you're at. Right. So what's the goal of a community exegesis? And what, are we, what, kind of, what are we aiming at? You talk about entry, right. figuring this thing out, uh, learn the rhythm, learn the locations, the influential people. What's the, kind of, what's the end goal here? What's my target? So the end goal ties back to our, uh, time, our segment together last time. Okay. So you're looking for a person of peace, uh, um, and community exegesis gives you the landscape and a, a way to approach and engage different segments of population within a particular community. And so just as you well know from serving overseas, um, you know, the gospel tends to travel more quickly through lines of existing relationship right. at levels of socioeconomic status right. and uh, similar language and everything. And so even here in the North Raleigh area, we've got segments of population that are kind of cordoned off mm-hmm. and um, unless we establish something uh, within that population, we're never going to get the gospel to the edges of that population. That's a great point. And you don't have to be new in a community. Maybe you've never done this, so you can act like you're new, right? Start, exactly. Start this community exegesis as you pursue a missional lifestyle wherever God's placed you. Yeah, a great uh, great book that I'll refer you to mm-hmm. is a book called Tradecraft for the Church on Mission. Yep. 
And so those guys, uh, most of them served as IMB missionaries in Western Europe, and they basically give you the tools to go out and do community exegesis. That'd be great, great. Thank you for being here with us. What a great, uh, great tool that we can understand the neighborhood, the community that we live. God can use us as missionaries no matter where we're placed. Absolutely. Thanks a ton. 